Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Huradene, and the Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Dude, thanks for, thanks for coming on tonight. Yeah. Tonight's thank guest you. is Shay, and uh, dude, yeah, thank you, man. How are you doing? Doing all right. I've, uh, it's kind of been an interesting 24 hours. Oh, yeah? Leading up to whether or not I want to do this or not. So. Yeah. How so? Tell me about it. Um, if you want to, I guess you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I guess I haven't, I haven't shared this with anyone outside of well yourself and mm-hmm. and the family. So, in for, private settings, yeah. In private settings, very private settings. So, for a lot of the stuff, I guess I haven't really thought about whether or not I. I know at at, at there's one side of me that talks, you know, that it's very comfortable sharing it. Mm-hmm. in those private settings and we've chatted about it many times i've chatted with my folks and mm-hmm. well, with my mom and my siblings about it but then there's the other side of it of the general public knowing or uh yeah or even extended family because i don't think any of them know mm-hmm. that would be I and mean, it can I'm be sure hard. it's going to be a shock yeah absolutely man it can yeah, be hard so it's, it's been uh it's been a lot to kind of digest i did some some journaling last night a couple shadow work prompts a, mm-hmm. a buddy texted me and i did some work on that and it, i seemed to feel a little bit better about it yeah. last night when i went to bed but of course waking <laughs> up again this morning realization of the day i guess it just kind of came came up so well for sure man you know what it's it's a lot of vulnerability Shay. yeah so it's not like it's a walk in the park man it's there's uh some of us who have gotten so used to sharing our stories that we sh- we we've shared it in AA rooms forever or whatever rooms forever and and other people haven't like yeah. haven't had that opportunity to build up the armor right like because we do need some armor when we talk about some of the things that I think you're going to talk about mm-hmm. right yeah big time yeah and that's partly how we build it up I think yeah yeah it's been uh, it's been interesting yeah dude I bet it. it's been interesting <laughs> well that's why I reached out to you yesterday because I was like. I just got like a oh, like a rush of like, he could be really stressed out right now. I should probably check in, man, because you've had a lot going on, right? Yeah. As well as planning to do this. Yeah, there's been a, you know, when did we schedule this in in August? Hmm. You know, early August, and definitely things were a lot different in my life in in early August. So. Yeah, they were. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely been a lot going on. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's it. been a whole lot of growth and a whole lot of movement, hey? It's a lot of movement. And actually something, you know, when I texted you last night about anxiety and that feeling that anxiety, mm-hmm. um, kind of like the, similar to the anxiety I'm feeling in this moment, mm-hmm. but right as you're about to make that next change into the next chapter moment to your life that mm-hmm. is a big moment like a identity shift mm-hmm. you're gonna get swarmed with that anxiety that fear of you know and i love the quote on anxiety i don't know who said it but anxiety is f- the anticipation of future fear mm-hmm. yeah and it really is and that's what it is so i'm i'm mm-hmm. feeling it right now yeah. But 
in terms of, I feel like by doing this, not only does it take courage, but, mm-hmm. um, and courage is only one. It It's interesting. I had this chat with a friend last night after the journaling thing, and it was, she said the same thing. It takes massive courage. And I, and I said, courage is one of four attributes of grit. Hmm. And what other, are the other three? Um, if I don't ask somebody, it'd be like, resiliency, adaptability, and perseverance. Perseverance. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And numerous people have talked about grit and how those mm-hmm. four attributes make up grit. So yeah, I feel it's going to be a gritty podcast, yeah. but yeah, oh, good. Gritty's good. Yeah. Gritty That's is where good. I live most of my life anyways, <laughs> with people who are like grinding it out in the grit. Yeah. So in definitely on the, uh, on the path as Jocko would say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay about it. Well, and, and here, this might help you feel a little better, but I mean, the truth of the matter is we're not live. Uh, if we finish this conversation and you walk out of here going, nope, like you just tell me. Yeah. You tell me, it won't come out, it's gone. Yeah. Right? So we you have all the choice here. You have absolutely nothing to worry about because you get to decide what happens, right? Not yeah. me. So, yeah. Big time. So, hey, man, like I'm going to let you take it away. Tell us your story. And the cool thing about this format that I really like is you tell your story, right? Okay. And you tell it how you want to, and I'm just going to follow your lead. Okay. Okay? Oof. Where to start? Well, obviously, <laughs> it was the start of the beginning, so um, I guess it, it starts fairly early for me. Uh, I don't, I, I, when I was younger, I had a ton of, whether they were health issues or whatnot, um, you know, starting with things like I had surgery when I was like eight months old. My mom's told me, and I spent a couple nights in the hospital. So, mm. whether or not that's a traumatic experience, I've, absolutely it is. I imagine it would be for a kid, yeah, for a child. So, starts with that really early, and then you know, having really bad asthma and, and allergies, food mm. allergies especially, that got me sick quite frequently, and a lot of trips to the hospital. Uh, so, definitely a lot of trauma early on, and then on top of all of that. As I started to learn how to speak, I had a speech impediment. I couldn't say, I couldn't make, you know, two consonants together. So stop, or I couldn't say my name, Shay, like that sh sound or mm-hmm. the st sound for stop, stuff like that. And so I went to a school called Renfrew School here in Calgary. Um, and it's, it was a great school for kids with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I was there with, you know, my issues of learning how to having a speech impediment is probably very minor compared to a lot of the kids that were in that program, whether they had cerebral palsy and yeah. autism, all kinds of varying degrees, right? Varying yeah. degrees. And, yeah. and I do remember I have kind of a, like a, a good little memory of seeing, uh, like there were people on the bus that I rode to school, um, that were in wheelchairs and I was mm. not. So there was a vast difference in, in where we were at. Yeah. And I, uh, it was on, so I, I rode the bus and I was around age three to four. Um, and that's when the abuse first took place actually on those, not on the bus trips, but by the bus driver. Mm. Um, yeah, so that, that occurred in the school by the bus driver. Um, and it went on. I was there for a year, for a year um, before kindergarten. And it definitely went on the entire time. Hmm. And I think around the four or five mark, I made it to kindergarten. And I went to a normal public school kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And... What was it like going into a, like a public school after going through everything that you'd experienced at that point? 
to be honest, I don't even think I can fully remember it, but mm. I do. If I, like, I have certain memories that kind of come up when I do think about the subject of the abuse that happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think the main part is that it's, it was always very challenging to make friends. And similar to what we chatted about before of having that script, mm -hmm. like that, that I, I exist on a script. Yeah. I still do. Yeah. And there's a script that keeps me safe, mm -hmm. keeps me in control of what I can be in control of, um, within my own safety. Mm -hmm. And from that, I guess it just kind of, that script, I was mm -hmm. using that script at age four and five, yeah. which probably shouldn't be using the script and it to, that's what happens <laughs> to to live but that's mm -hmm. kind of what happens yeah yeah so so that kind of where it started and i guess luckily for me the the sexual abuse ended that one year so mm -hmm. it wasn't like it went on for five six seven mm -hmm. years type thing which it, can do for other people it's all it's all severe in its own right man yeah yeah and it and it you know so i guess it, is it luckily it's probably the bad a bad word to use but it uh to have it kind of that chapter be done mm -hmm. i guess mm -hmm. and then it was on to other things yeah. That I wasn't really aware of. And I, my, my parents, my mom always tells a story that I was a, a really happy child. And then somewhere along the line, I just wasn't a very happy child. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know what it was for the longest time. Yeah. And. Cause she didn't know what happened to you. As a no. Kid. And I yeah. didn't, I didn't share it with, I didn't share it with my mom until after I was, I, I was probably in my 20s when mm -hmm. I shared it with my mom. And I haven't, uh, probably, you know, at least, at least 10 years ago, if not longer. And so I never shared it with her and I never shared it with my dad. You never knew. And, and I never shared it with my siblings until, you know, way more recently mm -hmm. within the past five, five years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, whether or not, and I, luckily I do have a really close relationship with my mother Yeah. and we do have a great, great relationship. So I, you know, I definitely felt comfortable to be able to have that conversation with her. So that mm -hmm. was obviously, that's a good thing. And so, uh, definitely had that. And that was, I mean, that's, that's, it's just nice kind of mm -hmm. to be able to when I was able in my early twenties to share that with her, mm -hmm. to get that off my chest, I've been yeah. carrying that for a long time. Oh, well, for sure. Hey, yeah. She was the first person you told. Uh, or the first like real close person to you or no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I told my younger brother. Mm. Okay. Um, first, but I don't know if he actually believed me mm -hmm. and got, and guys like without any sort of, introduction to those subjects like as guys we don't grow up being equipped to have those conversations no right like as a no. matter of fact we grow up equipped not to have them yeah right because time. we'd rather not yeah there was definitely definitely the latter of not mm -hmm. not discussing that i mean i can look at things in my life whether it's my brothers my uncles grandparents mm -hmm. i mean mom's dad definitely gave us hugs all the time but mm -hmm. my dad's dad only recently started giving us hugs like in the mm -hmm. last four years yeah and he's like 86 so it's, you're thinking mm -hmm. okay well better late than just, never it's better late than never <laughs> but it's definitely not the way they're raised of uh of showing affection you know yeah. as a man as a masculine man mm -hmm. to show affection so that was uh it's been a nice change having that but yeah right on yeah so it's 
not to get off the story, but uh, not at all, man. Drill back, so kind of around five, six, seven. I was just in school, and and I I kind of remember like early those early years of childhood of elementary school being you know pretty good. Hmm. I didn't. I never really thought about the the sexual abuse. You know, it, it definitely came up in my own mind. But I was so young and hmm. doing other things, you know. There's, I was playing hockey and had friends and mm-hmm. skateboarding and, and you know, and actually had a pretty normal childhood outside of that. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't until later that it started to really affect me, I think. Hmm. And and I think it it still affect. I I mean I know it it still affected me, but maybe not in the way of. I didn't. Maybe not overtly at that point. Yeah, right? I didn't like, turn to drugs and alcohol at age five and six. Yeah, but, yeah. And and not to, you know, put. You know, not to put it out there that people don't and that their story's not unique and. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just wasn't yours, right? It just wasn't mine. Yeah. And it was, uh, and I had a really nice childhood. Um, with my dad was always kind of around, played hockey with us. He worked a lot and he was going to school as well, mm-hmm. working on his PhD and MBA and stuff. So he was definitely super busy, but he definitely got out and we played in the park. Mm-hmm. We lived across the street from the park and we'd go out there and throw the baseball around and throw the football around for hours yeah like that's i've i have an older brother i'm one of four i'm second of four Mm. i'm an older and younger brother and a sister and so with that dynamic i spent a lot of time with the boys all of us three brothers and even my sister a little bit but she was quite young Mm. chucking the ball around doing stuff like that outside playing hockey together yeah that was just our our kind of day-to-day and and then the next major traumatic experience. So I've kind of already had, whether it's surgery and health issues while being a baby slash toddler into the sexual abuse. And then at age eight, a couple days before Christmas, my father passed away Mm. of a heart attack. Really sudden, out of the blue. Here's a healthy guy. Um, and and I say healthy in that, you know, he didn't drink and he didn't smoke and he worked out and he... Mm-hmm. Did we eat the best? No, it was the mid-90s. But considering the time, he was healthy. If For, the, for those times, yeah, absolutely, he was healthy. Yeah. And then it kind of brings up other things in my, you know, with allergies that I note within myself. I'm mm-hmm. celiac. Um, I do know that my dad got an upset stomach every time he ate something with gluten. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was definitely lactose intolerant, but he ate dairy all the time and would be mm-hmm. sick for days and days. And I'm anaphylactic to dairy. So you mm-hmm. see some commonalities there. And, mm-hmm. and if you know what those two food groups do, what those two foods do within the body is cause inflammation. So mm-hmm. did it, was he healthy? Yes, but did it, potentially cause inflammation in his heart that we're, we were unaware of at the time. Mm. I, I imagine probably yes. Whether or not uh, my siblings feel the same, I don't know. It's, <laughs> everyone's entitled to their own opinion of, mm. what, of what happened. Well, it's um, basically a guesstimate, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's, it was just kind of like a big, big kind of sh- – I mean, it was definitely a shock. It was mm. right before Christmas – uh, it was December 22nd, 97. And, and I actually, I used to not sleep very much and, and I still don't. Um, I, I wake up early. I love being up early. It's my favorite time of day. Um, being up at like five, mm-hmm. kind of before everyone else, four thirty-five. I, I mean, I go to bed at nine, nine, <laughs> nine to 10, somewhere in that window. So it's not like I'm not getting sleep. I'm still mm-hmm. getting eight hours, but I'm, getting it when most people are usually mm-hmm. up for a few more hours before so or after me so so i was always an early riser and 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 i used to wake up early and and uh, dad would always be up early before he went off to work he'd go and play hockey most days mm. 
and this particular day he was off to play hockey with the guys before going to work for the day. It was December 22nd. I think it was a Monday or something. And, uh, yeah, I'd sit with him on the kind of our back step and we'd just talk about what was going on with school and life. And I mean, you're eight, so you don't share too much about your life, but you, you don't know too much about life, you don't know much about <laughs> life, but you're just, it was more just like that. That was the time that I always had, you know, each one of us siblings mm -hmm. had time or an activity or something where we had one-on-one -on -one time with dad. And that was mine. It was mm -hmm. always, there was five five o'clock in the morning for 15, 30 minutes. And that mm -hmm. was my time with him. And so seeing him off, I was the last one to see him that day. Um, you know, gave him, told him I loved him. And, and that being, you know, having me be the last one to, to hear him, you know, say, I love you back and be the last one to see him was tough. Mm. Uh, and I don't think it, I don't think that part set in for quite some time. Oh, I imagine, man. Many years later when I was much older, that how intense that was. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, that was my time, and I, I saw him, so I saw him off, and then he actually passed away of a heart attack while playing hockey. Mm. So he came off a shift, sat down on the bench, slumped over, and was dead. Oh, man. And that was kind of before they had defibrillators in, in uh, arenas Every, and yeah. stuff. And it was kind of soon thereafter they started having defibrillators in arenas. I started seeing that. And uh, so, yeah, that was right before Christmas. Um, and it was, it's an interesting thing because we were at uh, we were at the Glencoe uh, the night before had a like a family dinner and we went to the hot tub or went to the outdoor pool and they used to heat it mm -hmm. uh in the winter i think they still do but they we were out swimming and it was snowing i have this very distinct memory of it snowing and him picking us up and throwing us <laughs> the thing that dads always do in the pool mm -hmm. like pick your child up and chuck you like six feet yeah totally it's just a it's a dad thing. I don't know. I think it is, man. They throw you as high as they can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As far as you can, as they can, <laughs> and that's it. You just hit the water. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I I've only <laughs> seen dads do it. Moms never do it. They yeah. never chuck their kids. But pretty sure my dad did the same to all three of us boys, yeah. man. It's yeah. just a thing. So yeah, I I have like this distinct memory of him doing that, throwing us. It was snowing, and uh, I think it was cold, but not like crazy cold and yeah i just i just have that like this weird little memory in my mind that kind of comes up from time mm -hmm. to time i don't think about it all the time but it's there and uh but well described because i can picture it eh so pardon well described because i can picture it yeah yeah well, i can I picture try and, it try and talk like a storyteller i guess yeah so. man and then it, it the next day you're just, gone and mm. and that day our entire family came over and and grandpa shared the news to all of us and i don't think any of us actually understood what you were saying mm. i mean God, my older brother such... was my old brother was 10 i think he might have understood maybe wow. but at age eight i sure as heck didn't some big news man and then my younger brother was five his birthday's um, so six days after dad passed away and it, and I, I remember we'd, I, I was on my mom's mom, grandma. I was like, she was holding me and I was just, I just remember like fake crying. Hmm. I have this memory of fake crying for like an hour mm -hmm. and her like comforting me, but I was fake crying. I, I don't even know what, it was more just shock. I didn't mm. know quite how to understand that or comprehend that he wasn't coming home. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the part that, you know, and my mom, I think, did a very good job of um, dealing with the situation, but I, she didn't, uh, 
And I think we always wondered why she never brought us to the hospital mm. to see him. But I understand why she didn't yeah. now. Um, but it, it definitely, I think for most of us, I can't talk for my siblings, but for myself at least, I would have liked to at least be able to like see him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to see him in that state. Mm-hmm. Dead well, on a dead on a table, yeah. but and that's kind of where I think that like the adult me would want to see that mm-hmm. and see him one last time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, not my not what my mom. Well, and and the eight year old you might not have really wanted to either. Yeah, right. Like, but now it's different in hindsight, right? It's totally different in hindsight. Yeah. And uh, but luckily, mom did things the way she did, and mm-hmm. and. And that was, you know, good. And, and, and he was, you know, he was a great man. Everyone in the, in the community loved him. Um, everyone in the family, both sides love him. Mm. Still do love him. Um, I have people come up to me all the time when they find out that I'm his son and they tell me some story of him playing mm. squash or hockey or something. Yeah. And it's always like a happy memory for them. So mm-hmm. obviously I know he was a great man. And uh, his funeral was on Christmas Eve. I remember that. And it was packed. Wow. It was a warm day. And most people would be with their families. Yeah. But there were probably, I don't even know how many people. The church was full. Mm -hmm. People were in the lobby of the church. And people were actually standing outside the church. Mm -hmm. It was a Chinook in December. And it was... It was like a nice, warm, sunny day. Well, and he was a pleasant human. People liked him. Yeah, and it yeah. was it was packed. The whole church, the bottom and the top, I mm. do remember, was just packed. Mm. Cool. Which is really cool to to know mm. to see that. It's obviously very large shoes to grow <laughs> into. But, uh, it would have been pretty daunting, actually. Yeah, for so you and your siblings. For the siblings, for sure. For mm. all of us to to know that, that you know that's. What we have to do is, you know, yeah. hopefully have, and that's, you know, part of, part of the legacy that each person on earth leaves behind. I think most people hope that if they were to, you know, kick the can and mm-hmm. leave early, that they'd have a, you know, arena full. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all hope that we have impacted enough people in a positive way i think right yeah. like that at least some people come out for us yeah you know yeah. exactly like, i don't know if we can hope for what your what your dad i don't know if i can hope for you know, i don't know if i can people. either like <laughs> that's pretty daunting there's, dude <laughs> that's that's def- there's definitely people i've heard along the way and i don't know if they'd show up so yeah unfortunately yeah and uh and so that was you know the big three traumas all under the age of 10. Mm. So that was a lot. And I, I definitely, that was definitely a lot to take. Um, and, and that's kind of when things start to unravel. Um, I started getting, I was never bullied about the sexual abuse stuff because no one knew about it. Mm. So I never got bullied about it at school, but I, I do remember that after, because that was Christmas break, that that happened. And we came back after Christmas break. And this is totally messed up. But my teacher, um, I can't remember, grade three teacher, she got me. This is this is the most effed up part of it. She got me to leave the room and go see the principal, hang out in the principal's office, while she told the rest of the class that my father passed away over the Christmas break and not to treat me any differently, which when you tell eight-year-olds that, you think they're going to listen. Well, and you send the other kid out of the room. Yeah, send me out so I can't even be there when you tear. Okay, but don't him. treat him like a freak, guys. He's not a freak. <laughs> I swear to God, he only has six fingers. Yeah, that sign on his back doesn't mean he's a freak, guys. 
Yeah. That is, man, we used to have some weird ideas how to like do that stuff, eh? Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that one's, it's, I've never Whoa. understood it. It's, it's, I've, I've kind of like tried to wrap my brain around it a few <laughs> yeah. times and I just, I, I don't understand what her logic was. Nothing made you feel so welcome, eh? Oh, and I, I never <laughs> felt welcome again, I, which is shocking. <laughs> like until, un, until I graduated high school, mm-hmm. I like never felt good in school mm-hmm. again from that moment onwards, which is, I mean, and there's people in my life that I went to elementary school with that were at the same high school as me. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to any of the, I went to two different, I went to a bunch of different schools and that's mainly due to quite a few things, but probably all related to anxiety, A, and depression and just not being able to focus, not being mm-hmm. able to get my mind on task of schoolwork. And I think it all comes back to all the, those, you know, three things that have mm-hmm. major things that happened before I hit the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And so I went to numerous schools. I went to two different junior high schools and I went to, uh, to two different senior high schools. And I, there were people in like, elementary school who were also there in grade 10 when I went to that public school mm. and it was like, how do you, how do you get through this? Like these people still mm-hmm. know me and they're still carrying the same bullying tactics. Mm-hmm. And the bullying was, um, that I had one, fa- one parent, mm-hmm. which is like awesome. That just, just shows like how cruel kids are mm-hmm. of like making fun of someone because they only have, because they're different in one way, right? Like in and in a way that they actually can't control. Yeah, but of course, kids are kids, so they don't understand that. They're just saying, "Ooh, you only have one parent." Like yeah. they don't really understand what it means, right? Exactly. Like, so that was and or most of them don't, I should say, because some are don't. some are dicks. So let's just be honest: some there kids are, are dicks. Some, some pricks <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. and I definitely as I got older, I kind of, you know, I made it through grade four and five and six and it wasn't easy, but I kind of got through. And my, I think my marks were pretty bad. And I mean, obviously it's a lot of things going on, but I started to really, within that first year, you really comprehend what is actually going on. Mm. And I, you know, I went from being a child at age eight, eight and a half to by, I'd say by the time I hit my ninth birthday, I was not a child anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're forced to grow up pretty quick. So you end up, I definitely ended up growing a lot and, and getting to, you know, sadly, certain things I think I missed out on mm-hmm. through childhood. And, uh, and I didn't have the easiest childhood. I say in terms of like abuse and trauma moments and stuff like that, I had a great childhood. Mm-hmm. My mom worked extremely hard to, you know, mm-hmm. support four kids and did what she had to do in order to, you know, do what was right for the family and keep us alive mm-hmm. and keep herself alive. And, and that's, you know, and she'll always get a, the biggest, you know, round of applause mm-hmm. ever for me. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's the strongest woman I know. So, well, and and the, your parent can only do so much, right? Because yeah. life still continues to happen. Exactly. And of course, she didn't know what had happened to you. So, no. um, it would have. I mean, your mom was probably your sanctuary man, like, mm-hmm. right? The, she was the only one left, really. Yeah. And and I, you know, and I. I don't know too many people that don't care about their mother, but most people I know sure care about their mother. Yeah. And it's, and you know, there's most people I know too. I know some that don't have relationships with their parents and that's fair because of what's, what's going on in their lives. Yeah. But yeah, it's really hard to imagine not having that. Yeah. Like for myself and for you, obviously. Yeah. And having, you know, and, and 
and we've chatted about it and the relationship I have with my father, you know, the relationship I had with him when he was in the physical realm mm-hmm. on earth, um, was great. And it was a, a really good relationship, a really mm-hmm. strong relationship, really loving. And, you know, he didn't beat us and he wasn't, and I'm, he wasn't, you know, didn't sure he definitely had some of his own issues he was probably sure. working through like everyone is mm-hmm. but he was he never beat us he never did anything mm-hmm. physical of any kind he never yelled at us that i can remember he was just mm-hmm. a loving fun guy yeah and obviously his funeral would tell you the exact yeah that some exact people point. thought the same thing yeah yeah so it was you know it's not that we had a a bad upbringing there's just certain things that happened in my life that, mm-hmm. you know, weren't particularly great. Mm-hmm. And so around the time I got into grade seven, my mom got remarried to a, uh, to a gentleman. He was, and that was kind of around me getting into, I, I want to say grade seven, probably grade eight. Um, but they kind of, started going out in grade seven and and he had his own kids and and had been divorced and whatnot and um you know and and so there was a blend of a family there and i guess from the beginning there was a a lot of things that looked really normal Mm -hmm. i think to a lot of people um, with our, with our family. And it was, uh, and this is kind of the harder one to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sexual abuse is easy. <laughs> it's easier. Um, well, just I th- cause sorry. this is, this kind of brings up things not only just for myself, mm-hmm. but it, you know, brings up points. Well, it couldn't have been easy. So let me see if I can help you a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Because it couldn't have been easy, first of all, going into a blended family. Okay. That's never easy. Yeah. Because there's like personalities and some of these personalities aren't related. Right. So they're going to be angrier than other times. Right. So totally. uh, um, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but it, it sounds like life was just challenging in a new way. Right. Like having the new family there yeah. or being a part of this new family. Is yeah. that kind of what you're saying? Definitely, yeah. yeah. So it was definitely definitely challenging, and that's kind of when things started, I guess, from the mm-hmm. abuse. And it, it it's not like it it started right away either. It, it was kind of a slower progression, but there was definitely things I noticed, uh, definitely verbal abuse, mm-hmm. um, yelling at, you know, whether it was yelling at my siblings or yelling at my mom or yelling at myself. And, uh, and I'd, I'd see that type of stuff kind of in the early days. That was Mm kind of where it started was that. And then there'd be more like almost like psychological abuse Mm. of similar to yelling, but it would be like, he'd give me and I, this is just a memory I have is he'd give me like a math problem that he knew that I would not be able to solve. Mm-hmm. And he would force me to sit there and try and think my way through it when there's not a chance in hell I'm ever going to get it. Mm-hmm. Almost just to like prove his dominance over me, like that he's mm-hmm. tougher. Like, sure, you're, you're 50 years old. <laughs> of course you are. Like, why are you picking a fight with a 10 year old, buddy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. And that, it was that kind of behavior of, of mm-hmm. you know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, that deeply verbally, psychologically abusive to a child, making mm-hmm. them feel stupid because they can't solve a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a question that they've never been taught before. Yeah. And they're going to get taught by this guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome teacher. Are you sure you want to talk about this like this? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can. Okay. It's up to you. Let's just can double check. And, and that was, 
that was kind of when it started to get more intense. So kind of around, I'd say around age uh, 14, 15, 16, when I got to these ages. Um, and, and my older brother left the house at 18 uh, and he went away traveling and then he went to university after that. So he was not in the house. So he doesn't have the same, he doesn't have the same relationship to this as the rest of us do. Mm. And by that point, this man's two children were not living with us. Mm. It was just him, my younger brother and sister, and my mom and I. Okay. That's it. With him. And, and I think maybe his, his daughter would come like on alternating weeks or something. Mm. Or, and maybe his son for like a little bit, but then he stopped coming as well. Like his, his kids stopped coming to visit mm. him. And that's when things really started to shift. Mm. And it would be things of the nature of, you know, that intensive verbal abuse and psychological abuse happening more and, and more frequently. Mm -hmm. And definitely with, with myself, I don't know if it happened with my, with my siblings. I imagine it probably did because I don't know why he would only pick on one of us when he could pick on all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was kind of in this period uh, that that's kind of when things definitely continued to mm -hmm. get worse. And, and so how was it getting worse for you? What were, what were you doing during those times? Because you were, said you were 16, 17? 16, 17, in there? yeah. Yeah. So what was kind of your expression of how bad it was getting? You know, some people start smoking cigarettes or other people start drinking or whatever. I had my first drink at 12. Mm. And I think that was probably because of... Um, I was definitely not overly uh, tough. And my brother's... Mm. Uh, my older brother especially used to get his buds to uh, hold me down, like hold me to a tree or hold me, pin me to the ground. Mm -hmm. They'd either beat me with their skateboards or beat me with their fists, toughen me up, mm -hmm. make me so I don't cry. And it worked. I don't really well, cry. Well, it might have done that, but I it probably did some often. other things too. <laughs> I don't cry too often. And, yeah. and, you know, my older brother and I never had the strongest relationship mm -hmm. um, we definitely have a much better relationship now mm. uh, now that we're adults and we've, you know, and definitely since I've gotten sober has that gotten better. But I mm. started drinking to cure that mm. pain of getting beaten up and it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was, it usually started with just drinking beers uh, that I'd steal from mm. parents parents fridges stuff like that my mom's fridge and then i started drinking my stepdad stuff mm -hmm. you know whether it was his bottles of wine that he held had in his cellar in the basement in the cold room and bottles of scotch and and then it kind of once it got to the hard stuff it kind of and i i didn't do it every day it wasn't like an everyday thing definitely from 12 till 18 it definitely wasn't an everyday thing mm. I, I definitely drank and i'd go drink on weekends and stuff with friends definitely after mm. age 16 and stuff but not it wasn't really like a thing that i did that much and kind of when i hit 18 was legal mm. there was no hold you know nothing held back then it was i went out six seven days a week mm -hmm. and i'd get drunk and I used to do drugs back then. I uh, haven't used drugs since 2013, but that was uh, that was kind of a bigger one for myself. Was mm. shaking the shaking off the drugs, so mm. like cocaine. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I actually haven't shared that before. That I I used to use cocaine from mm. 2000 seven till 20 2010 mm -hmm. and then uh around around that 2000 2009 
uh, kind of summer 2009, I definitely got deeper into the drinking and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to fast forward too much kind of over the, the stuff with the stepfather, um, things had gotten really bad by that point. Mm-hmm. My folks were separated. Uh, they'd been separated for a couple of years. Yeah. And before the separation, that's when things got even worse from kind of like an abusive stance mm-hmm. of, um, you know, not, not, was it, it just, it wasn't just the verbal mm-hmm. psychological stuff. It started becoming, um, physical as well. Mm-hmm. And I, and I heard it, um, and it's not something I really want coming out, but mm. it's uh, it's something that kind of has to be said. Well, it's hard to tell your story without telling that part. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, we could do it. We could take a big chunk of your middle story out. Yeah. And then people will be like, well, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I yeah. mean, we just want to make sure we're as respectful to your mom, your siblings as possible. Totally. Right? And that's the yeah. big thing is... It, I'm, I bring it up not to share it as a victim, yeah, um, but to give a voice to people of mm-hmm. my generation that maybe have uh, been through the fire. Mm-hmm. And that are ashamed or afraid to talk about stuff, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's the big thing. Is yeah. So kind of around that 09, I'll fast forward back up there. I uh, There was one night in particular I had alcohol poisoning for sure drank way too much than I can mm-hmm. possibly have. And, uh, and I stopped, I woke up the next day and I stopped drinking. I went, that was the longest I ever went was, mm-hmm. uh, three months or whatever it was not drinking. And I didn't drink until that fall. And I actually, it was the day before I was leaving to Whistler. I moved to Whistler to work the Olympics, uh, back in 2010. And I, uh, I got a call from my mom that she hadn't heard from her, you know, ex, my, her ex, Mm -hmm. the first stepfather, um, and to go to his house and check on him. She hadn't heard from him in a few days and Mm. checked with the lawyer. He hadn't heard from him either. So it was really strange behavior for Mm -hmm. someone that was always kind of around or at least texting mom Mm -hmm. trying to get her to go on a date with him or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Strange behavior from him. But he, uh, I, I got into his house. I kind of broke into his house and found him in bed um, after taking a whole bunch of pills mm-hmm. trying to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, called 911. They came over, pumped his stomach, and mm-hmm. took, him, took him to the hospital. And he was actually, you know, survived and alive. And... And I think part of me kind of has carried some weird amount of like, I don't, I don't know if it's guilt mm-hmm. that I saved his life. Some mm-hmm. guy that was ruthless to me for yeah. so many years. Not super nice to you. Yeah. And I kind of, part of me wonders why I did it, mm-hmm. but I. It's because you're not ruthless, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I, uh, well, it comes down to the point where, we've talked about is the forgiveness piece Mm -hmm. of of uh of that but Mm -hmm. then you know so that was the day before i left uh the night before i left to whistler and i moved out the next day and he was in the hospital and it's a good thing you took some time to decompress yourself after that exactly (laughs) i was gone the next day (laughs) he went from there to a cab to the airport (laughs) no i drove to whistler i drove my truck out there with a some Aussie guy that I had met. So that was wild. But we, uh, we went out there and, and that's definitely when the partying mm. really stepped up again. So that was November that we left and I didn't, I didn't drink there for August, September and October. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd been clean from all of it, whether it was drugs and alcohol for those three months. Yeah. Um, but then kind of that November hit and Whistler and the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of light at first ramping up. I, we didn't go out too much and, you know, I kind of eased back into it 
but kind of by the time the Olympics actually started in February, I was working on course and, and there was the whole announcement of the police checks coming. So we were told to bring in booze and anything else we wanted to have in our lockers. Mm. Our, my boss wouldn't, he wouldn't do a check as to what we were bringing before mm. the police checks happened. So of course, every single guy that was around my age definitely had drugs and alcohol in their <laughs> locker. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would have been disappointed if that story went any other direction. Exactly. I'd have been like, wait, you guys had none of it? <laughs> One guy even made his own moonshine. He brought, he'd bring <laughs> That's his own awesome. moonshine in. So um, it, was, it was out of control. And that, those two weeks of the Olympics were a blur. I actually don't remember too much of them. I can imagine, man. I uh, I didn't. I was living in Squamish at the time, and I didn't go back to my house in Squamish at all. Like I didn't actually sleep in Squamish one night during the Olympics. <laughs> I slept in a friend's van. I slept in. Uh, I slept in my truck. I slept in uh, like the locker room for mm-hmm. our ski kind of our ski crew locker room mm-hmm. on a couch. It was wild, and I. We went out partying with, I have more stories that I can remember of the weird drug times and that, mm-hmm. that I can actually like going to see legendary DJ Mark mm-hmm. Farina first night, um, going out with Bodie Miller the night he won the uh, super combined and going to the mm-hmm. vodka tasting room with him in the bo- basement of the Hilton. Like, you know, I can't, you can't even make that story up. It's I not wish a total I could. blur. I wish I could. <laughs> got to drink with Bodie and and he was like my favorite skier at the time too so it yeah. was even better oh cool and uh so that was wild to say mm. the least and then I stayed after the Olympics and worked the the Paralympics and then I worked the summer kind of landscaping and then mm. I moved back to Calgary and and then it was kind of you know, bouncing around odd jobs, I could never really find what my career groove was. Mm. And and I was still kind of participating in recreational drug times mm-hmm. and alcohol a lot during this period. Uh, I graduated in 2007, so until 2013, I didn't think about school or what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I had quite some time off, and uh, and it definitely didn't set me up for a ton of success, but mm. the career I chose was music production. And, you know, that wasn't, um, there was definitely drugs and alcohol around for that the entire time as mm. well. So it wasn't like I got away from it, but I did quit, um, using drugs of any kind. Um, 2013, mm-hmm. March 17th, actually St. Patrick's day. Okay. I uh, just kind of made the choice on that St. Patty's Day to not do anything. Mm -hmm. And I definitely still drank, but uh, I didn't participate in anything else. And and then I kept that drinking thing up until um, last year, actually, September 10th. Mm. And I just passed a year and still going strong on the sobriety. So congrats. Thank you. Yeah, man. Feeling really good for where it's, where this journey's taken me from, mm-hmm. that, from all the abuse stuff to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to touch base, my mom did actually get divorced from him and mm-hmm. she's married to the best guy in the world, you mm-hmm. know, outside of being my father. Yeah. Uh, he knew my dad, loved him, thought he was a great guy. And he's, you know, my new stepdad's the most mm. supportive person I know. So he's been, he's aware of kind of a lot of the stuff I've been through. Mm. I haven't shared the, the sexual abuse part just because it's still a... It's not dinner conversation, man. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's not just something not. that comes up over dinner, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, we've definitely chatted about a lot of things, but not that. And mm. But we have a really strong strong relationship and you know as he's been around us since i've known him since 
four ninety five kind of thing. And, okay. and the day that Dad passed away, actually, Mom dropped us off at his house, and mm-hmm. we went there while she went to the hospital. So, so I've known him a long time. He was always around. He was always supportive, and mm-hmm. and you know, it's just nice to have another really strong mm. uh, male role model in my life. Been very important. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Especially, you know, that I had that weird period where I didn't have mm-hmm. that. Um, well, you had the opposite those, of it too. So. I had the opposite of it yeah. for a long time in those most formative years, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm a slow learner or something, but. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're in good company, man. Kind of just Except for maybe on. Sam. Sam's probably a quick learner, but the rest of us, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's the, that's the story. Okay, right on, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about, man? No, not really. Right on. And was... so what's your, what are your plans right now? Do you want to talk about anything like that? Because sure. we can, or we yeah. don't have to, but. Yeah, my plans, um, I'm mm-hmm. looking at potential, you know. Relocation. Relocations, let's yeah. put it that way. That sounds good, man. Because, and you're not the only one. I just bumped into one of my neighbors in my building, and he is literally on his way, like moving out today and moving to Mexico. Oh wow! Yeah, because yeah. he goes, I I don't want to be a prisoner here. Like yeah. I, I, if I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to go where the sunshine is yeah. all year round. I'm not going to be a prisoner <laughs> to snow. God. Yeah. So snow uh, minus twenty. Oh. Yeah, and I and I get it. Like we we're talking about the you know the liberty. And it is every, it should be everyone's choice what they, what they do. Um, I, I just, I think like, I wish that those people who could take it just would, right? Like not because they're, they should, I just, I wish they would. And yeah. the reason I wish they would is so that we could just simply move on. But that doesn't include the people who can't get it, right? Yeah. Because there's legitimate medical exemptions for this stuff. And the rest of us have to remember that, right? Yeah. Like that. It's not just one big brush of anti-vaxxers. No, there's right? a there's a lot of people that there's make a variety. Up that. And and I'm not to say that I'm an anti-vaxxer. And that's what I meant. I meant to say I'm that. I'm 100 not what you said. I am 100 yeah. percent pro-vaxxing. Yeah, big time. I've gotten all of them. Mm-hmm. My, I mean, outside of the ones that will kill me. Mm-hmm. But you know, and I have I have a medical exemption. I have a ton of allergies and. Mm-hmm. I've been instructed by my doctor, don't get it. Mm-hmm. And just like as we chatted about that yellow fever one, don't get it when mm-hmm. I went traveling. I can't, I can't take certain ones, mm-hmm. but I am so pro-vaccine. I've had all yeah. the others. And see, and that's strange because what happens when an issue becomes polarized, there's no in-between anymore. Exactly. Right? You're, yeah. either, you're either anti or you're for. And it's... Just it's not like, the way the world works, man. I've had every other vaccine on. I got a rusty nail in my hand, you know, mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I went and got a tetanus shot that day. Yeah. Because I, I said, when was the last time I got tetanus? Probably when I was six. Mm-hmm. It's probably expired, yeah. so I should probably get a new tetanus yeah. shot. It's just like... Because you know, what you know you can do, you do, right? And Exactly. It's, and I know there's lots of people like that out there, and like, shit, man, it's liberty, yeah. right? Like, it's, it's, we don't get a whole bunch of freedom. I mean, don't get me wrong. You and I are a couple of white guys. We get a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom. However, like, we don't have a whole lot of personal liberties beyond what everybody else does, right? That's like, true. to be honest. Yeah. So, um, in order to allow us to continue to have those personal liberties, we might have to do certain things, right? Big time. Yeah. And, and, and some people can't legitimately do them. And I, I just, anyway, for whatever people's reasons are, man, they're theirs. I just, I really wish if you could get it, you just would. Yeah. Right. Like everybody out there. And not because I think the vaccine is going to save the planet, but because it'll allow you to go get a coffee. That's true. <laughs> like eventually you're not going to be able to go get a coffee. Right? I already can't get a coffee and that's yeah. okay. I... But you have a legitimate exemption and this is what pisses me off, right? Is that legitimate exemptions get treated like every other kind of exemption, yeah. right? Where people were phoning it in or whatever. Yeah, and like, that just opens up a whole new can of worms of yeah, not this podcast, but uh, <laughs> let's let's sew on some yellow stars onto my clothing and let's let's see what this new world yeah really looks like. Sew some yellow stars on our clothing. I love it. Yeah, without and, without getting too deep down that wormhole, down of, the communist wormhole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. All I can think of when I hear yellow stars is 
the, the Chinese flag, right? Because it has the yellow stars and then the yellow half moon, I think. Is it a crescent moon? Am I, I thinking of China's flag or am I thinking of a totally different flag? I think that's the old Soviet, Soviet flag. flag. That's what it is. Thank you. It's the sickle. The sickle, yeah. The hammer and the sickle. I got these things all confused. Anyway, communism is scary and bad, okay? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Seriously, I can't believe we still have that conversation like long after like J. Edgar Hoover's dead. Like seriously, the yeah. commie scare. <laughs> commie scare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, that's a conversation for another podcast for sure. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's been uh so that's kinda going on. I got some kind of new new business ventures um mm-hmm. that are kinda coming coming up. So I, I kinda just started my own food allergy coaching. Mm-hmm. And um so that's kind of what I'm. What Do you I'm have doing. websites and stuff for that stuff? Uh, website's not done, but I have my Instagram kind of mm-hmm. all set up. It's New Tribe Coaching. New Tribe. New Tribe. So okay. N U T R I V E Coaching. Okay. So, so we'll he'll write that down, and then we'll attach your we'll tag you and everything when we okay. post yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we close, like yeah. what? So you you mentioned um, that you've been sober for a year. Yep. And so like what? First of all, what motivated you to go clean to go sober? Um, and and second, what has it been like? What is your life? What does life look like with this year sober? Like differently from before, say. Ooh, that's a good question. Ah, uh, every once in a while, a nugget squirts out. Exactly. You get a little genius out that's right. there. Just <laughs> uh, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit of genius drip. Yeah. I uh, I chose to do a hundred day challenge. Hmm. Um, to myself, my uncle had kind of recently gotten sober, uh, kind of right before me. Uh, and I, I actually had a conversation with a friend. It was, you know, a, a friend of mine who, um, actually fought military stuff, but mm. he, uh, he had just finished a hundred day clean, clean mm-hmm. sober just for the fun of it, uh, on September 10th or September 9th or something. I saw it on my Instagram and we started chatting. And uh, and I just decided, I said, you know what? Let's challenge myself. Hmm. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone. I told my folks because I was staying at their place. Hmm. But I said, starting tomorrow, I'm going clean and sober. Hmm. Um, and that's it. I said, I'll do 100 days sober. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I did, I got that hundred days in. And by the time I got to hundred days, I was sleeping so well and feeling mm-hmm. so good that I pushed the goal to six months. Mm-hmm. I got to six months and thought, well, I've already gotten through so much mm-hmm. over this past year. Let's go to a year. And I got to a year and I still have zero desire to drink. So mm-hmm. it's, did you find that you had an, a, a better ability or easier ability to focus on the things that you needed to do, like without the alcohol being kind of whatever it did for you, like slow you down or whatever? Was it just easier to focus? Yeah, the focus is one part, the sleep. Yeah. Just the overall. I mean, I hate I hate the feeling of being hungover mm. more than anything on earth. Yeah. Um, the brain fog. But then just the biggest thing for myself and that there's been so much growth and healing over this last year is the, is how do I, you know, I've, I've been able to put myself in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. I've been, whether it was, you know, the ups and downs of a, of a relationship fully sober with someone with a partner that wasn't. Um, and it's not that she has, you know, issues with alcohol. It's just, different we have a different relationship to alcohol um but you know riding the highs and lows of a relationship and the fighting and or not fighting arguments Mm -hmm. disagreements and all that type of stuff and then you know work changing jobs Mm -hmm. all that so you know highs and lows of a relationship the highs and lows of my career and and through all that i started really analyzing, you know, my childhood traumas and stuff mm-hmm. like that and uh, attachment wounds and mm-hmm. stuff like that, abandonment issues. And 
if Dude, I you've was, had a serious year, man. That's a big year. <laughs> yeah. That's a big year. And had I year. had I been drinking, I don't think I would have been able to actually mm. sit still enough to actually go through it. I've mm-hmm. been meditating a long time, but mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have been able to actually process what I needed to process. Mm-hmm. And when those hard things came up, especially in the one where, um, you know, I got. You could say laid off from a job or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, I didn't feel like drinking. Mm-hmm. I kind of already by that point I'd already changed my habits, um, or even quitting another job. Or when I got demoted at a former employer, I didn't. I didn't want to reach for a bottle and drink. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have new habits where I go to the gym or I go for a run or yeah. I talk. You know, at the time I talked with my partner. And that, that was enough of a, a, you know, a break from what I was going through in that moment. Yeah. And, uh, so that was kind of my biggest thing is taken from, Mm -hmm. as soon as I got sober, it was being able to have the bandwidth to process through these challenging situations that Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have been able to face a year ago yeah i agree with you man i agree the booze acts like a buffer for the right like totally yeah and it was there for so long that i think it just yeah like there were times where i'd take like a month off or i'd take three months off Mm -hmm. back in i was 18 but or 19 but there was there was definitely periods there like in that i'd say my my 20s i definitely drank more in my 20s than most people do in their yeah. entire lifetime so i mm-hmm. i definitely got my lion's share in got your money's worth man no i definitely got my money's worth i can yeah. tell you that <laughs> and i've saved a lot of money over the last year too and that's yeah. what you what you really realize that mm-hmm. you're saving money but you're also it, it goes to other things yeah so it goes to you know whether it's for myself it's all about keeping this body as healthy as possible so like mm-hmm. supplementation stuff like that so mm-hmm. i'm Sure, I'm saving money over here, but it's now going to prolonging my life, hopefully. Yeah, or just giving you a better quality of life, right, exactly. while you're here, hopefully. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, thank you very much, dude. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. Appreciate yeah. it.